Life can be very difficult. It can be very challenging. In fact, I think life is like a puzzle in many different kinds of ways. And yet, it's also like many puzzles. I would say life is like a collection of puzzles that put together make this grand uh, picture that just lays out before us. I've never been a puzzle putter together. I've tried it a time or two. You know those boxes where you buy the puzzle and you pour them out and they cover the whole table? And it's a great big picture. And every piece looks almost the same. <laughs> at least to me. I've tried that before, but after trying it for, oh, a long, long time, maybe 10 minutes or so. <laughs> whenever I couldn't get just two pieces to fit together, I thought, you know, I'm just not really a puzzle solver. At least not in what comes in a box. And yet, I'll have to admit, and looking at my life from another different perspective, I think I am a puzzle solver. I love to fix things. I love to get things right. And if I ever get bored, I just pick a church member out of the directory and call them in for a visit. I know their puzzle needs fixing. It doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing. If I talk to them long enough, I'll discover something in their life that's not quite in place. And what's more frustrating than not being able to make those pieces fit together? Maybe it's your family life sometimes. It's easy for family lives to be like a puzzle, isn't it? I mean, sometimes I'm at a family reunion, I look around the room, and I wonder, who are those weird people? You know, they're strange. They think strange. They act strange. And then, and then I got married, and man, I met another collection of strange people. I didn't say stranger than the first group. You're not getting me there this morning. I'm not getting in trouble. Just strange people. Why is it that people are so strange? And then I got older, and as life went along, I joined another group of people at places where I worked, and they were definitely stranger than either one of our families. But it became a work family. It's a place where you work with other people. It's a family, too. It's part of your relational life that you have to put together. It's chosen for you in some ways. Once you pick a vocation, you're going to work with oftentimes certain types of people, and we move around and get different groups. But not only is our family life a puzzle, but our vocational life is a puzzle, too. You know that people charge money telling other people what they ought to do for their living? I can remember when my, one of our children, I think both of them finally did it, was toward the end of high school, and it became necessary to take them to a, a counselor who would help them take a test and who would help them figure out what they want to do with their life. And, of course, I got to pay for that. <laughs> was it a bad gig? I'm thinking about opening that when I retire. You know, I just get a deck of cards, and when someone's coming to see me, I just pull out what, you ought to be this. Go and be, do likewise, as this card says. Oh, I know they had the test to tell them, and sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're wrong, because sometimes the puzzle just isn't ready to be put together yet at that age. If that were all there was to life, it would be good, but then there are friends, friends, acquaintances, church members, and we have relationships with all of them, and some of them are weird too. Now for the most part, it's the weird people in our church who don't come to worship. There are members who are weird. We who are coming all the time, we are not weird. Say it with me, we are not weird. You're not telling the truth. 
but you followed my example, and so there you are. See how weird we are? We have a physical life, and sometimes the puzzles don't all fit together, right? And sometimes you get to go lay down for a few weeks and think about that until you get the puzzles put back together again. We treat our bodies terribly, don't we, for the most part? I mean, I'm told that almost everything I put in my mouth is poison. I thought, well, what does your poison taste like? Because I'm really enjoying that poison I'm eating. But at any rate, it's still poison. Your emotional life, another puzzle that makes up who you are, right? How you think, how you respond to the world, what touches you in your heart and your mind, what doesn't. Yesterday afternoon, we had a wedding in the church. Susanna and Jim became Mr. and Mrs. Jim Copeland. We had a great time at the wedding, and it was a first for me on several occasions. Uh, One of the things was that Susanna got so tickled. First, she came down the aisle crying, and then she was laughing without control. And I thought, that's my redheaded girl right there. That was the first time I had seen somebody do that at a wedding. I loved it. She told me I would enjoy the wedding. I just didn't realize how much. It made me forget her name for a moment there. You know, just things happen in our relational lives that drive us sometimes kind of crazy. Our emotions can do strange things. And then there's our spiritual life. That's many parts, too, in that puzzle, right? What we read, what we watch on TV and at the movies, what we talk about with other people. How much we serve, our life of service. How much we study. You know that book, the thing we call the Bible, Bible, and many of you carry them around. I see you with them all the time. I know you're reading them just all the time. I know by now, after all these years, you've got it down pat. But you're still carrying that book around. You want everybody else to know you've got it down pat, right? Somebody times when they said, Pastor, you don't have a Bible. I said, I do, I do. They said, well, I don't see it. You didn't bring it. I said, well, that's all right. I've got the important parts memorized. And they didn't look at me very happily. And I saw they were serious about that Bible thing, toting it around. And years later, I began to understand why. What is your life like now as a puzzle? Family, relations, spiritually, physically, emotionally, vocationally? Is part of your puzzle missing? Is part of it not fitting together as you work to try to work it out to make it right? You know, we live in a very difficult world, even vocationally. People don't have jobs very long anymore. It's really kind of new to my generation. We kind of found a job and stayed there. I guess we weren't capable of another job. I'm not so sure. But these days, people change jobs often. So they're constantly on the move vocationally, constantly being required to learn more, to give more, to be more than they were at their other position. And sometimes they struggle with that. Well, today we're entering a part of the puzzle that's important to us as a church. We have our church life together. There's many pieces to that puzzle. There's youth, there's children, there's aging adults, there's hospitals, there's Bible studies, there's worship. There's all kinds of things we, we do as a church. But it's kind of like a puzzle our spiritual lives are. And a very center part of our spiritual life has something to do indirectly, and I think directly too, with the text that Cindy read to us this morning. When Moses had received his calling, and oftentimes this text is using, used for preaching sermons about calling. I've got two or three of those in my files myself. But this year I want to do something different with it in talking about it from the stewardship angle. 
Because stewardship comes and attendance falls off. I don't know how that happens. You know, you know people go, well, he said last week we ought to give to the church. We don't need to go the next two weeks. He's going to say the same thing. I'm going to try and fool you on the get-go and talk about stewardship in a little bit of a different way. Because I think stewardship itself as a part of your spiritual puzzle is its own puzzle. It's not easy to figure out stewardship. People that have everything figured out about everything and make it so simple, and it kind of worry me. They kind of trouble me. I wonder how deep their mind runs. I wonder how busy they are, although I do believe it's possible, and we Methodists are work hard at it, as distilling lots of information to get to some, a central point. So let me just go ahead and give you the central point. And then you won't have to struggle with it the rest of the morning. The central part is this. What's that in your hand? What is it? It's you, right? It's how you go about in the world. What's that in your hand? For Moses, it was a staff, which he used to guide his people. And God was going to use his gifts in taking care of sheep to help him take care of the sheep of Israel who were in captivity. He was going to turn that shepherd's staff of protection into a rod of deliverance so that God's people could be returned to the promised land and get out of where they were as slaves in Egypt. I'm going to use that staff. What I'm really going to use, I'm going to use you, Moses. And Moses said, uh, what week are we going to start that? And, and you know that I'm not... I'm not the best spokesperson you have. I can give you several names of someone who would be better at that than me. Sound familiar? If you've ever worked at a church or been a chairperson of a committee, you know what that sounds like. Would you serve on the so-so committee? And they go, well, uh, I know somebody who would do much better. You should call this person. <laughs> you see, they didn't know that you were calling them. Or actually, they did know but like Moses, they wanted to pretend they didn't have anything in their hands. I can't help you. Oh, I want to serve on the committee, but y'all meet on Tuesday nights, and I'm busy every Tuesday night. It's a great plan, you know. It works, and pastors and church staff members get all swelled up. In fact, they swell up at me sometimes when we're talking, talking about something and They'll say, but we don't have anybody to do that. We're, we're out of people. And for 15 months now, they'll tell you, if you ask them, I keep telling them, oh, they're out there. They're out there. And they say, well, we've already asked. I say, oh, they're out there. They're out there. You're in God's hand. And what you have in your hands is enough for what God wants to do in this church. If God were to throw it all out on the ground, all that you are, that you have, that you're made up of, if God would throw it up, it'd be so piled up so big, we'd have to move all the chairs, all the stuff that you're made out of as a body of Christ. Well, we don't know who's going to lead the pastor, but God does. Search for the youth pastor. God will provide him because he wants to put in our hands all that we need in order to be his people. What happens is sometimes we act as though our hands are leprous and we don't want to touch anything in the church because we just don't have enough time. 
Well, the problem is not you can't serve. The problem is you're too busy. Just tell me what your life is like. I'll fit it out for you. <laughs> be calm. Be rested. Don't stress over it. Ask one of the Cindy's. They'll tell you. It's there. It's inside you. But so often, what's in our hand has not been recognized by us as a part of the puzzle that God wants to use. At the very center of our stewardship is this idea that God has given to us what we need in order to serve him. Every one of us. I think I've said it before, but just be clear. I don't, want, I don't like to be not clear. You know, I, somebody called me the other day and said, well, you know, you're really blunt. I said, well, okay, I'll accept that as a compliment. Because if I'm blunt, you can't possibly not understand me. I can talk in languages you won't understand, and I'll be very impressive. You know, I could even buy a doctor's title. It didn't cost that much, a couple hundred bucks online. I could go get the real thing. I could do all of that. But I could still couch what I say in words that you won't understand. But, you know, I'm not going to be accused of that when I get to heaven. That's going to be one sin I don't have. I'll have plenty others. And, no, I won't tell you what they are. But let's assume that all of you have some talents. Yes, even you. I'm That's everybody. You got that? Everybody. You have God-given talents that you were born with. So if you can get up here and sing like an angel and make me sound worse than I normally sound anyway, that's because you got a talent. You got a talent to sing. I got something in between. So I get to sing because I have joy, and you get to sing loudly because you have talent, and you should cover me up. And then everybody can be happy. You have talents, every one of you. You never outgrow their use. Let me tell you about a talent we're, fixing to, we're about to make use of in the church. That talent resides in the heart of Carl. Carl has a talent with numbers. Now, Carl is three or four years old. I, I, he's been a member of the church. How long now? How long, Carl? I'm talking to you back there in the corner, Carl. Forty-some years. He ought to be sick of dealing with numbers in this church by now. But he still has volunteered to help our accounting department, our finance department, in his spare time. Do you know that's what retirees have most of, is spare time? Spare time. If you're retired, should I do that? Should I make every retiree stand? That'd be cruel, wouldn't it? That'd be awful. If you're retired, stand up anyway. Stand up, Sally. You're retired. Yes, you are. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. You're retired. Stand up. That means you're retired. Most of the time, you pick what you want to do. That makes you retired. You're just like all the rest of those folks. Some of them are younger than others. Anybody that's the chair of a committee, take, take, take a look. Because retired people have more time on a given day than most other people because they don't have to regularly go to work unless they choose to in a part-time way or in a volunteer way or however they choose to use their time. Now, they will tell you, yeah, but I only have so much more time to do all the things I want to do. That's another subject. I'm not preaching about that. Exactly. You have time. You have talent. You have skills that you've learned and honed over your life. Skills are 
or something that you're mostly responsible for because of the education you've given yourself and you've received from others, because of the practice you've had doing things in life. You have skills because you have certain bodily abilities to do things in a different way than other people. It's a skill to do much of what we do in life. Everybody has skills that everybody can use them in certain ways. Now, I know some people that I wondered if they had any skills because they never did anything. Uh, did you ever meet those people? We usually talk about them. It's called gossip when we were talking about them usually. But some people have a lot more skills than they want you to know about too, by the way. Did you know that? There are some people who are treasure troves of skill, and they keep the lid on tight. Not because they're retired. They're very generous as retirees. You see how I covered you all up there? You all remember that when I call you to use your skills. Talents, skills, they also have gifts. Gifts that make you unique. Every one of you is, is unique. And not only are you uniquely here and as a human being, you've been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have spiritual gifts. And every time I teach this or say this to some congregations or some Bible study groups, they'll say, I, well, I don't really have any gift. And I say, are you a Christian? And they say, yes, then you have a gift. And they look at me kind of funny. And then I say the second part. If you are a Christian because you say you are and you don't have a gift, then one of the two things is not true. Either you're lying or you just don't know that you have a gift. Or maybe it's one of three things. Or you're really not a Christian. Because, see, the Scriptures teach us that every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift. Now, you say, but, but what is mine? Well, let's sign up for a class, take the course, figure out what your spiritual gifts are. Or show up to Cindy Johnson will help you figure it out. Or Cindy Shirley will help you figure it out. Or maybe Nick will help you figure it out. Or maybe Chiv will help you figure it out. You see where I'm going, right? Yeah, I'm not in the figuring out business of spiritual gifts. <laughs> On a daily basis, except I am teaching a class from time to time on spiritual gifts. I'd love for you to see, see the scriptures about that, study them, and then look me in the eye and say, but I don't really have a spiritual gift. And I say, well, then you just put yourself on the retired Christian bench. And re Christians don't retire. They die or they live. That's your only options. Sorry. If you want to retire, retire from teaching in Sunday school, you can. You can retire from teaching weekly Bible studies if you want to. But if you've been a teacher all your life and that's your gift and you refuse to teach because now you're retired and it's somebody else's turn, that famous line we hear in the church, don't use that line on me because you will have a very long day if you do. <laughs> because I will share with you what that means and what you're saying to God when he says, what's that in your hand? You see, God wants to take what's in your hand, metaphorically, and throw it on the ground so that it will touch other lives and change God's people and God's world. And if we keep everything in our hands, like the old story about the monkey, you know the story about the monkey, they love the nuts, and the way to catch them is to put nuts in a gourd and hang it from a tree, and the stingy monkey will find the nuts, stick his hand down in there, grab a hold of those nuts, he won't turn loose of those nuts for anything until he'll hang there and die. Sad picture for the poor monkey. Humans ought to have enough sense to let go of what they have so that God can use it. Because what you have has been given to you by our Lord Jesus Christ for the benefit of his world. 
and the salvation of the souls around our world. You have talents, you have gifts, and you have time. Some of you have more time than others. Most of us only have 24 hours a day. Some manage to squeeze in 26 hours worth of stuff in 24 hours a day. And some people manage to squeeze in 30 minutes of stuff in 24 hours a day. And the other rest of the time, they manage to do what they like to do. I'm coming back to that. You knew that, though, right? So here's what you gift on the right side of that puzzle. You get talents, gifts, and time, and skills, and then you have wealth. Who I knew you wouldn't like that one, but I put it up there anyway because it's true. Part of the wealth you have is everything listed above that line of pieces in the puzzle. Part of it is there. And part of the wealth you have is the, your ability to make money and your ability to have picked the best country in the world to live in. So therefore, we are the most wealthy people on earth. That's good to know. Because sometimes we get confused by that. Uh, mostly neighborhoods are kind. Everybody's house is kind of similar in most newer neighborhoods. I hate it in the older neighborhoods, you know, where you'd have one house that covered half a block and six houses that covered the other half. See, it was an advertisement. This person has real wealth, and the rest of us are never going to have it. But everybody still had wealth if they live in this country. It's just quite who you compare yourself to. Some people have very little money in their savings account, but they're some of the wealthiest people I know because they have a lot of emotional wealth. They have a lot of spiritual wealth. They have enough wealth and enough sense to share the wealth that they have with those who have less, even less than them. And then they become the wealthiest people of all. So you see, we all have this stuff, talents, gifts, time, skills, and wealth. And then on the other side, we're all looking for the same kinds of things. We are looking in the stewardship puzzle of life. We're looking at our life as a whole, and we want to be secure. We all have our own priorities, and we don't want anybody messing them up. And we all have goals, and heaven forbid we not make those goals. Well, here's the good news. I can tell you how to reach all your goals, keep all your priorities, and be the most secure person in the world. All you have to make sure is that your love is targeted in the right way toward the right people and to the, the reasonable depth that you're given the opportunity to have. And then you have to make sure, once you have the love in place, that your will is in charge of what your body is doing. It's a funny thing about a will. It's what God, one of the things God gave us to separate us from the rest of creation. We have a will. An easy example of a wheel is the difference between a, a, a robust dug that I enjoyed and a thin dug. The doctors all came in one after another. They just got, I got sick of seeing them come in the door. And, and every time they came, Sally was always there. So I really had Sally plus a doctor. And they would start telling me how my wheel needed to change. Potatoes really weren't that good for you. Diet Coke is awful. It's poison. You shouldn't eat wheat. Go figure. <laughs> Sweets, anathema. If you have one, then be sure you don't have anything anytime soon. Your will is in control of your body. I always thought it was a problem with my arm. My arm had a bad habit. <laughs> you know, there were chips in front of me. I should eat them. They were there. It's politeness. 
And now, not only does my wife say no, but my doctors all say no. And they all get together and they give me books to read. But you know what? If I don't open those books, I can be as ignorant as ever. And you know what? You can do the same thing with your will. But if you really want to be secure in this world, you're going to have to open up the book in your life and you're going to have to decide whose will is the will you love the most. God's will or your own will. It's a simple choice whether you're 16 or whether you're 60. Whose will wins out? Is it the will of Satan that wins in your life more than not? It can be and it is for most of us at given times. But you see, you're never going to really be secure until you understand that your real security rests in God. And you're never really going to be God's child when you're withholding by the actions of your will, your very love that God has given you for God's own self and for God's own people. When we don't love people enough to share with them what we have when they have less, we're really giving a witness, just not the kind we want to be giving. And certainly not the kind we like pastors to tell us about. That's why attendance always falls off in October. Because it's stewardship in the Methodist church. Almost everywhere. Stewardship. If you're visiting with us the first time, I'm sorry you're here on Stewardship Sunday. But God willed you to be here and you came. So what am I to do, you know? The topic is Stewardship. John Wesley said one of the ways you can tell who is a Methodist is by the way they live. And he hated sour-faced Methodists or sour-faced Christians. Christians should be the happiest people in the world, period. They know what they have. They know they've been saved. They know what's coming when they die, heaven. And they know how to use what God has given them in between earth and heaven. And as long as they exercise that desire to keep following Jesus and using more and more what God has given them for the work of God's kingdom on this earth, then they will get happier and happier. They'll be so happy whether they're walking down a wedding or not, they'll be dying of laughter. Why shouldn't we laugh? We're never going to die. The rest of the poor suckers, they're going to die. I'm not going to die. Oh, I'll fade from sight. And my, like my voice is fading this morning. But I'm not dying. I'm sorry. I'm too precious to die. Oh, you're too precious to die too. I, I don't want to forget that. You're God's child. God wants you to live forever. So much so that God was willing to die so you don't have to. But you know, it's still a matter of your will. You don't have to love God. You don't have to love the things of God. You don't have to have the mind of God. You can keep the mind of Aunt Susie or Uncle George three times removed on the other side of the family. Or you can just keep your own little mind and your own little will. After all, who knows more than you? You say, this is getting to be a tacky sermon. (laughs) It doesn't have to be. You can be happy If you just listen to the sermon, and if you just ask yourself, what's in your hand? What's in your life? If the first thought is, not much, then tell yourself, I've been lying to myself too long. 
Because I've seen some of your stuff thrown on the ground. And there's are pretty impressive people in this church. So when I worry or struggle with what's going to become of the church or how it's going to go forward, then I remember, I don't have to worry about this church because look at all you who've got stuff in your hands, in your heads, in your hearts, and in your lives. Stewardship is really about just that. Asking yourself, where is my heart in control and where is my through the love I have for God, and where is the love of myself in control? Where is my love for others in control, and where is my selfishness in control? When I know what God wants me to do, is my will in control, or am I in control? That part of me that I can't totally conform to God's image all the time, that part of being human. It's a wonderful thing about the will. We all have one. And God has prepared us and given us the strength through his spirit to allow God's will to work through us so that the things that God wills in this earth actually come to pass. But the catch is, we're just like Moses. It's our staff, and we've got a firm grip on it. And if we choose not to give it to the work of the kingdom, or to recognize its presence, then we can live a boring human life, accomplishing very little for God, and making ourselves very happy, we think. But happiness is relative. It is always relative. I'm about through. Let me tell you about how happiness is relative. There's a rumor going around that yesterday in Dallas, Texas, at the Cotton Bowl, that Oklahoma won a football game. See? There's some Okies that found their way south. We're glad to have you Okies, by the way. And they think they won. But to all the Longhorn faithful, what we saw by acting out of our wheels is a team that's starting to come together. And we know there's another cotton bowl coming. Because the team is getting better by practicing better. By getting their wills in the right place and following their leader. Though they didn't win by the earthly standards, they won by any Longhorn fan who's watching very closely because they are improving. You know, that's kind of the way I judge church members. I'm so glad I got this job for that reason because I get to be the one who gets to judge on the surface and talk most of the time instead of having to listen to somebody tell me that they're judging me. It's a lot more fun up here now than out there. So I just want you to know one of us is happy. (laughs) And the way I judge Christians is not by what they did not do in their past or what they did in their past, but what are they doing today and planning to do with their future That works better for me when I set my will upon what someone is doing now rather than what they failed to do well in the past. Because every one of us has a past that's littered with things we don't want to repeat. And some of the things we don't want to repeat, we're still fighting a war over to keep from repeating them. I love Christians 
And I judge them to be living righteously with God when they are working on being more like God every day. Exercising their will, becoming more loving for others and for God and the work of God. When they begin to have more of God's mind inside them instead of just their own thoughts for their own benefit. That's when I know people are growing in Christ and they're healthy regardless of their past. I want every church I'm a part of to be so loving that we are willing to live in the present and the future more than we are in the past. It's so easy to throw rocks at one another in our past. I'm so thankful that Jesus did not live that way when he walked this earth because it makes life almost impossible to enjoy if we stay bogged down in our past. If we exercise our wills in the wrong way, we become stumbling blocks for others who are struggling to get their priorities right and to exercise their will because they've had so little practice at doing it for so long. How can I be a Christian and not love people as God loves them? How can the church go forward if we hold what God has given us in our hands? I feel like there's a bright new day coming for us. Not that our past has been awful. No, not at all. But you see, everywhere I go, I see potential and more possibilities for a new future. Where people are taking what God is giving them and being good stewards of the life that God is allowing you to breathe. I'm real clear. I'm going to only breathe so long in this earth and then I'm going to breathe in, breathe in heaven. And between now and then, I've got a lot of opportunity to do a lot of stuff. And if I exercise my will and play golf every day, which I told the bishop not long ago, I'm getting about that age, bishop, I'm, you know, I see the end zone. In fact, I'm getting so close to the end zone that I'm getting cocky about it. <laughs> Aggravate me enough and I'll find a part-time job and just go home with Sally. <laughs> She's excited about that. <laughs> Especially when I explain to her what that means on payday. <laughs> but I'm not done doing God's will yet and neither are you what is in our future remains to be seen what's in our present God understands and we can too if we examine ourselves and ask ourselves a simple question what is in my hand what talents and gifts and skills have I accumulated that I can use for God at work, at home, at family reunions? What can I use to help people physically? What can I help, use to help people emotionally? What can I do to help people know Christ in a personal relationship? What do I have to use? It's not the great, big, rich things that God is really looking for. He's just looking for you. And who you are. Because God wants to use you. To touch other people's lives. And I believe that's what you want. And I believe that's what you're already doing. But we can always do something a little differently. 
We must always be changing because our world is constantly shifting. And Methodists have always been on the move. And so I cherish those of you who are ready to be on the move. And those of you who are not ready to move yet, I share this with you. I'm committed to seeing you move. I'm committed to getting you involved. I'm committed to making you happy, happier than you've ever been in your life. And the surest way to be filled with joy is to be filled with Christ.